The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Penny, and I'm the senior pastor here. It is great to be with you. Um, I imagine that maybe some of you are here uh, because you're in town this week, uh, visiting uh, relatives, visiting friends, or maybe you're on your way home from uh, time with uh, friends or family, and and this was a stop along the way. Um, Whether this is your first Sunday because you're visiting uh, friends or because you're maybe new to the area or you've been coming for uh, many years, uh, we're glad that you're here. We're glad that we can uh, join together and come to God's Word. And this morning, we're going to be looking at Joshua 22. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Joshua 22. There are also Bibles in the chairs in front of you, and we project the passage as well, so you can follow along on the screen. But you remember, if you've been with us, that the story of Joshua, in many ways, is the story of God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness to his people, to his promises, Right? He made promises long ago that he was going to give his people a land and that he would be with them and he would dwell with them in the midst of that land. And, and the story of Joshua is the story of fulfilling that promise. God's people are moving into the land. They're taking possession of it. And the land is being allotted and giving, given to the various tribes of Israel. Well, in Joshua 22, we, we're beginning the end of the book of Joshua. There's only a few chapters left. And, and in chap, chapter 22, conquest has ended. The land has been divvied up. But now we have three tribes, well, really two and a half tribes, who are about to return to the other side of the Jordan River. So the tribes of Gad and Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they, they're going to go and they're going to not dwell on the western side of the Jordan, but they're going to return to the eastern side and there they're going to dwell. Way back in chapter 1, that was the promise that was made. Joshua said to these two and a half tribes, if you help us, if you go into the land, if you help us conquer the land and divvy it up, when the Lord God gives us the land and gives us rest, then you can return to the eastern side of the Jordan and dwell there. And so that's the background of 22. So so we have two and a half tribes on the east, the rest on the west. And even though they're divided, even though they're separated, they're still called to be faithful. So let's go ahead and read Joshua 22. I'm only going to read the first six verses. It's a very long passage, and I'm going to just describe the story as we go um, after verse six. So follow along, beginning in verse one. At that time, Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, you have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you and have obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days down to this day. But have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he promised them. Therefore turn and go to your tents in the land where your possession lies. Which Moses the servant of the Lord gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Only be be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses the servant of the Lord commanded you to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away and they went to their tents. 
Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And we ask as we come to it now that you would help us. Uh, Father, we desire to be faithful to your word, to be your faithful people in this world. But we need your help to do that. And so we ask that you would uh, help me so that my words would honor you and would be clear. Help us all so that our hearts would uh, be attentive to what is proclaimed and that we would live as your faithful people. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if uh, you were living in uh, the state of Missouri, then uh, the name Mike Matheny would be not lost on you. You would know that name, and some of you actually probably know that name as well, even though we don't live in the show-me state, right? Because Mike Matheny is the former manager of the Kansas City Royals, but before he was the manager of the Kansas City Royals, he was the manager of the St. Louis Cardinals. And before Mike Matheny was the manager of the St. Louis Cardinals, he was a player, a catcher in Major League Baseball. He had a 13-year career, and, and Mike Matheny kind of made a name for himself in these 13 years. He, he wasn't the best player on the field, far from it. He didn't have a Hall of Fame career. He made the All-Star game a couple times, won a couple gold gloves, but, but he had the reputation of playing the game the way the game was supposed to be played. He was kind of hard-nosed, and, and he played hard all the time, and he understood the game and was a student of the game and a teacher of the game. This was Mike Matheny professional baseball player, professional coach. But before or in between those two times of being a professional player and a professional manager, Mike Matheny was a little league baseball coach. Now, I just want you to think about what that would be like if you're a baseball player and you're 13, you're a little boy, you have dreams of playing for, you know, well, the Cardinals, of course. And so Mike Matheny is now your coach. Right? This man who played Major League Baseball, this professional, he's now your coach. I mean, that would be amazing, right? And you don't have to be a, a, a baseball enthusiast to understand how great this would be because maybe you play basketball or football or soccer or, or maybe you're a musician. And so you can just imagine, right, someone who is a professional in your field, whatever field that is, the best of the best getting to instruct you, getting to coach you. It would be amazing, wouldn't it? And it was. A friend of mine, he actually played for Mike Matheny on this Little League baseball team. And he said it was amazing to have this former professional player instruct them and lead them and guide them and teach them all these sorts of things. It was amazing. And also, it came with lots of expectations. For all that they learned on the field, there were lots of expectations that Coach Matheny had for his players. Expectations like, if you don't come to practice, you don't play. It doesn't matter if you're the best player on the team, you're the all-star pitcher, you're supposed to pitch, you skip practice, you don't play. He had expectations like, we're going to play, the, play to win, but everyone's going to get better. And so that means everyone's going to play, assuming you came to practice. <laughs> we're going to get better as a team, and we're going to work hard, and we're going to work together and support one another. You're going to play for the name on your chest, not the name on your back. These were the expectations Matheny had for his players, but he also had expectations for his parents, Expectations like, you will not yell at your, t your player. And you will not talk to the umpire. And when they're on the field, you will not, under any circumstance, ever coach them. That's my job. 
These were the expectations. And if you were going to be on his team, you had to abide by them. These expectations became well known beyond just this little league team. In fact, this document was made that was called the Matheny Manifesto. could look it up and find it online. He actually wrote a book about it. But this is the expectations that he had. That if you're going to be part of the team, whether you're the worst player or the best player, whether you're a player or a parent, if you're part of this team, you are going to play and conduct yourself in a way that reflects the team itself. There were expectations. And Gad and Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh are being told that there are expectations for them. That as the people of God, though they are going to go and live on the eastern side of the Jordan River, though they will be separated from the other tribes of Israel, there is still an expectation for how they will live. And we see this expectation in verse 5. It says, only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So you hear the expectation, right? The expectation is that because you are part of God's people, though you are living in another part of the land, though you are part of God's people, you are expected to live faithfully to God. So what does faithfulness look like? What does faithfulness look like for God's people? Well, faithfulness is all-consuming. We heard it, right? Walk in his ways, keep his commandments, cling to him, serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Okay, so I want you to think, is there an aspect of our human experience that won't be covered by that? All his ways, all your heart, all of your soul. What the expectation is, is that in every single aspect of our lives, with every thought, with every word, with every deed, that we would live faithfully to God. That we would serve him with our heart and our soul in every place and in every situation, in every circumstance. The Old Testament scholar Dale Ralph Davis put it this way. He said, Israel must respond to God's unwavering faithfulness with willing bondage to this faithful God. You see, what he's saying is that because they are part of God's people, because God has blessed them, because God has given them the land, the only response is to take every aspect of their life every aspect of their being and give it in service to God. You see, friends, faithfulness to God is a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week, 365-day-a-year endeavor. Faithfulness to God isn't just when we gather at 10.30 in the morning on Sunday and we pray and we sing and we, we come to the table and we sit under his word. That's not just when we are faithful. And faithfulness to God isn't just when we wake in the morning and we do our 15-minute devotional in, in the word or, or when we say our prayer before we lay our head down at the end of the night. Faithfulness does look like those things, but faithfulness is always also played out when we are going to work 
And when we're in class and, and when we're preparing for that presentation and when we're interacting with family and when we're changing a diaper and when we're mowing the grass, these are areas that faithfulness to God is still demanded. It's all-consuming. Every aspect of every day of our lives is to be given over in service to the Lord. It's all-consuming, and faithfulness is a reflection of love. Now, we could easily miss this because as we're reading and as we're looking at these few verses, our eyes can easily fall to the part that says, be very careful to observe the commandment and the law. Walk in all his ways and keep his commandments. And we hear that, all his ways, all his commandments, and that feels really burdensome, doesn't it? I mean, I just said, every aspect of every moment of every day of your entire life is to be given over to, I mean, that feels like a lot, doesn't it? Every, all? And it can feel burdensome, and it can feel like it's suppressing joy, right? Because you've seen those people, those people who are like so fixated on a particular task, a particular thing, and, and they're, they're, they're so like worried about all the minutiae, and every single T has to be crossed, and every single I has to be dotted, and they're so fixated, and they're so focused that, that you look at them and they just look sad. They don't look happy. They look worn down and burdened. And you try to talk to them in the midst of this, and they're kind of sour and crotchety and curmudgeon, and they're a curmudgeon, right? <laughs> I don't know if you can add that L-Y on that word, but, but you know, that's what they're like, isn't it? And so we think when we hear God calling us to walk in all his ways and obey all his commands and live with all of our heart and soul and dedication and service to him, it can feel like that. But Joshua has something else in mind. He does say, be very careful to observe the commandment and the law. But in the midst of that, he says, to love the Lord your God. That we obey the command and we serve the Lord because of love. It's because of love that we obey, and it's because of love that we give ourselves to him. It's because of love that we cling to him and we serve him. It's not gritted teeth and resignation, it's love. And think of all the reasons that Israel had to love the Lord. God had made them. He had called them. He had delivered them and rescued them out of Egypt. He preserved them through the wilderness. He gave them the land and he fought on their behalf. They had so many reasons to love the Lord. Because, the, because God in these ways had shown his love for them. And friends, so too do we. Because those very things that God did on behalf of Israel, he's done for us. But he's done them through his son. He made us. He's called us. He has delivered us out of our sin through Christ. And Jesus went to war. He went to battle against sin and death and hell and the grave, right? And he defeated them and he did that on our behalf. He battled and he conquered and he rescued us. And did so out of love. This is what God has done on our behalf. And so our love and our faithfulness to God is because God has been faithful and loved us. 
1 John chapter 4 tells us that in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Y'all, don't forget this. Don't forget this. We love God. We are faithful to him because he's already been faithful to us. Because he loved us first. God moved towards us before we ever moved towards him. And we can't forget that because we so often want to reverse it, don't we? God will be faithful when I'm faithful. God will love me when I show I love him, but that's not how it works. It's the exact opposite. It's the reverse. God loved us, and that leads us to love him. God was faithful to us, and that's why we want to be faithful to him. God's people are called to be faithful. But this faithfulness isn't an isolated sort of thing. We don't do this on our own. This faithfulness is a faithfulness that is done together. And the togetherness plays out in the remainder of the chapter. So I'm just going to tell us what happens instead of reading the 30 or so verses. But, but basically, Gad and Reuben, the half-tribe of Manasseh, they go their way. So Joshua said, go on to the eastern side of the Jordan. You can take that land. And so they go. They start moving. But before they cross over the Jordan, they build for themselves an altar. They build an altar. And this news of the altar building, it gets back to the other tribes, the western tribes. And the western tribes respond to this in verses 13 through 20. And, and in short, their response isn't, uh, isn't they're not too pleased. <laughs> they're not very happy. In fact, they are fuming and ready to go to war. They're ready to go to war against their brothers and sisters. They're ready to bring destruction upon them for building this altar. Now I don't know about y'all, but just hearing that and even reading it, it can feel a little bit like this escalated very quickly. Like, what's the big deal? It's just an altar. But the big deal is that it has the look of them turning away from God. You see, by building this altar, it appears that these tribes, these eastern tribes, are actually rejecting what God has commanded them. Joshua has just said, go along your way, but don't forget, keep all God's laws, cling to him, rest in him, and now it seems like they're ignoring that call. That they're disregarding God's word. A word that wasn't just given through Joshua, but a word that was given way back in Deuteronomy chapter 12. Because there God said, you're going to go into the land, and as you do so, you're not allowed to offer burnt sacrifices and offerings wherever you please. You can only do it where I tell you. But now it seems like they're doing the very opposite. So what do the Western tribes do? Well, they hear about this altar and they go to them. And they say to them, it seems like you're breaking faith. In fact, in verse 16, they ask, what is this breach of faith that you have committed against the God of Israel? Now that language, breach of faith, it's the same language that was used way back in chapter 7 to describe Achan's sin. And y'all remember Achan's sin if you were here with us when we went through the early chapters? Achan took the things devoted for destruction. The very things that God said, don't touch, don't keep for yourself. Achan hid them away and he kept them for himself. And what happened? Destruction came upon Achan. And judgment came upon Israel. And so now the western tribes, when they see what the eastern tribes are doing, they think that this breach of faith is happening again. 
And so they go to them. They go to them and they're saying, why are you breaking faith? And this will affect not just you, but also us. You see, addressing this apparent sin, they're seeking to walk faithfully together with one another. But notice what this actually looked like. They went directly to the source. They heard what was happening, and so they went directly to the source. They didn't whisper amongst themselves. They didn't send out emails to stir up emotions. They went and talked to them. They went and they asked, why are you doing this? Don't you know what you are doing? Don't you see? Your sin will bring judgment on us all. They went directly to the source, and when they went to the source, what's amazing is that what they find actually isn't a lack of faithfulness. What they see is that the eastern tribes are seeking to be faithful with the western. So in verses 21 through 29, they give their response, and their response can be summarized like this. Basically, you got it all wrong. That's not what's going on. We haven't sinned, we haven't rebelled, we haven't turned from God, and we have no intention of using this altar for sacrifice. In fact, this altar was a reminder to us that we belong together. That's the purpose of the altar. You see, the Eastern tribes have concern about future generations. There will be generations that will come who will go, well, they're on the east, they're on the wrong side of the Jordan, so they must not be with us. They must have turned away from God. They must have sinned. They must have rebelled. They must have embraced the pagan gods of the land. But this altar was to serve as a reminder, as a witness that they were actually one, that they were united as God's people, that they won't forget and that faithfulness would continue. The altar is a symbol of their faithfulness together. And when the Western tribes hear this, and they hear there's no sin, that this is an act of faithfulness, they accept it. And the last verse of our passage says, they called the altar witness, for they said it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. Okay, so what are we to make of this? Well, let me make three observations that inform how we are to live together in faithfulness from this passage. Okay, just three quick observations. The first is as we live together in faithfulness is that it's right to ask. It's right to ask. You see, the Western tribes, they understood that they were united together with the Eastern tribes. You see, faithfulness is an important thing individually, but it's also an important thing corporately. We are not our own. We just sang that. We belong to the Lord, but we also belong to one another. Right? So, so because we belong to one another, we are a corporate body, and so our corporate faithfulness is important. And so it was actually right for the Western tribes to go to their brothers and sisters and say, it appears you are in sin. It looks like this is what is going on. It was right for them to ask and to call them to faithfulness. In fact, it was loving. And this isn't just something in the Old Testament. This is a principle for the new. In Galatians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul writes, If anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. 
Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so we see that as we live together as God's people, that as we're seeking to be faithful to God, that being faithful to God together means there will be times where we will see our brother or sister and we will go to them and say, it looks like you're in sin. It looks like you're in danger of turning from the Lord. It's out of love that we would do that. And to call them back to faithfulness. It's right to ask. That's the first thing. But the second thing is, is that we must believe. We need to believe the testimony that we hear. And that's what the Western tribes did, right? They go, they ask, and they hear there's nothing to see here, right? That's what they hear. We're good. We're not sinning. We're trying to walk in faithfulness. We're trying to walk together. And we don't get any sense that the West went away and they're thinking, mm, we'll see. They're not sitting there going, well, you know, that's what you say, but is that really what you mean? We don't get a sense of them going, well, you know, this is a slippery slope, and I know you're still within the bounds, and you're still walking in faithfulness, but, but you're sliding, and maybe, you know, maybe you're going to slide. No, we don't get any of that. There's no setting up of spies to watch the Eastern tribe at night or, or checking out their social media feeds to make sure they're going to do what they say. No, they believe them. When they hear this word from their brother and sister, they believe them. And not only do they believe them, but they actually go back to the rest of Israel and tell them what they have heard and seen. In verse 33, the report was good in the eyes of the people of Israel, and the people of Israel blessed God and spoke no more of making war against them. You see, when they go back and tell them what they have heard, they are ensuring that false testimony and unfounded rumors, they won't spread. You see, walking in faithfulness together means that we will give one another the benefit of the doubt until we have reason not to. And we have a responsibility to one another to protect one another's reputations. So that when we hear falsehood, when we hear rumors, that we would actually say, no, that's not true. That is not true. That's what it means to walk together. That we ask one another and that we believe one another. But, but the most important part of walking together in faithfulness is what the foundation for our faithfulness is. You see, the community of God's people, it could have been based on, it could have been built on geography or language or ethnicity. But that's actually not the foundation of their faith. That's not the foundation of this community. No, the foundation is who God is, and who God is is expressed in their shared profession. The very end of our passage, it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. That Yahweh is God. That is their shared profession. That is what they are declaring. And this was important because remember, they were going to be surrounded by other gods. And there were other things that they could give their hearts to. And other things they could build their community around. And there are lots of things we can build this community around, aren't there? <clears throat> I mean, lots of things that we could unite around. Like CTK's The Homeschooled Church. 
or the public school church or the private school church, right? That's what we're going to be about. Or CTK's the, the Republican church or the Democrat church or the independents or the environmentalists, right? That's what we're going to be about. Or we're going to be the church that sings reverent music. Or we're going to be the church that proclaims the truth, right? Or we're going to be the people that are loving, right? There are so many things that we could unite around, right? Socioeconomic status. We're going to be the white middle class church. We're going to be the, the African American church. We're going to be the church that seeks to minister to people of all races and be this multi-ethnic sort of, right? There's so many things that we could unite around, things some of which are really good, right? Some of those things are really good. And none of them are strong enough to hold us together. None of them will hold us together because over time, They'll start to break, and they'll start to fray. And the unity and the togetherness that we once had will be destroyed. Because the foundation of faithfulness together is not to be affinity or politics or socioeconomic status or ethnicity or language or any of those sorts of things. But the foundation of our faithfulness together is our shared profession. The Lord is God. The Lord is God. In the New Testament, Paul switches it to Christ is Lord. He is the king. That is the foundation of our faithfulness. That is the foundation of our faithfulness together. I've said it before. Christ the king is not just a name on the sign. It is what we believe. It is the foundation of our faith. It is how we are to live under his lordship. And y'all, that is the only foundation that will not crumble and it will not break and it will not sink. It is the foundation that is firm. And that is the foundation of our faith. It is the foundation of our faith together. And so... We're to be a people who pursue faithfulness. Faithfulness to our God in all of our ways and in all of our days and faithfulness together. And so let us ask him, Father, help us. Help us to be a people who live together on this foundation. Help us to be a church, a people who, who are built upon this profession that Christ is the king, that he is the Lord, that Yahweh is God. That is the foundation of our faith. And so let us be a people pursuing that faithfulness to God and let us do it together. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would help us because to live in this way as your people together under this profession, Father, it, it, there is everything in this world that would pull that apart. And so we pray that instead of being pulled apart, that you would unite us together. Unite us together under the lordship of Christ. Unite us together with the profession that Yahweh is God, that Christ is the Lord, and that we would live together under that banner, that we would live together as your people, pursuing faithfulness with you and with one another. And we pray all this in Christ's name and God's people said together, amen.